hear now from God's word. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrifying them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all of those who take refuge in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the seriousness of your fury. We thank you that we can actually rest secure in the king. Father, we thank you that you have invited us to be a part of your kingdom. Help us to not rage against your kingdom, but instead to see the goodness and the seriousness of what's at stake. In Christ we pray. Amen. The psalm that we just read, this is one of those texts that helps us to see the big picture. This is a, a text that, where we see the, nascent, the nation's rage, but the Lord reigns. And that's a concept that we have to hold dearly to but it's also a concept that we have to we have to realize that we rage like the nations. So we can, it's not a pointing the fingers type of text where we we're able to just say, "Look at those nations; they're terrible, and 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 we're so good." But instead, we have to both rest in the Lord as we we observe the world that we live in. But we also realize the same thing happens in our own hearts. We like the nations rage against the Lord. And if you go all the way back to Eden, that's what's happening there. You have um, sort of, Adam, Adam is sort of like the nations raging there, right? He is, he is going against the, the rule of his, of his king. And so we have to be able to apply it both individually to ourselves when we come to this text, but also as we observe the world around us, we take comfort in this text and we realize that though the wicked raise like grass, as we sang in a, in a the psalm just a moment ago, the wicked are like grass growing. If you think about that picture that we sang, the grass, it's, it's, if you had to go around and cut all of the grass in the world, that would be a daunting task. And it's, it's always coming up. And that's the picture we were given in the psalm that, w- that we read with the offering. The wicked raise like grass, but the Lord... His judgment goes across all of that grass and levels it. And so that's the picture we have in Scripture. And so we will look at that as, as we go through the text. We'll see that as the nations rage, 
We have a Lord that reigns supreme. We have a Lord whose wrath is severe. But we also have a Lord whose refuge is secure. And that's our hope that we will ultimately come to and that we will rest in. But let's get there. Let's, let's work our way through the text first. So the nation's rage, um, th- this is something that is probably on a lot of our minds uh, right now. If you, if you look at the news, um, there's, there's a lot of war in the world. Um, the war in Ukraine has, has really filled my mind. I know that. Um, I've been pretty preoccupied with it. I will, every night I, I'm reading News Digest just trying to keep up. I want to see peace. I want to see resolution. I want to see the things that are terrible come to an end. The, the world, the nation rages. And we cry out for justice. David does the same thing in the Psalms. The nations rage, and he cries out, Lord, how long until justice? I know you are good. I know you will do justice. When is it coming? So David does the same thing. His heart longs for justice, cries out for justice, just as we do. As we read the news, we're often finding ourselves wondering what in the world is happening. And we tend to start marking our doomsday calendar saying, well, it must be the end because of how terrible it is. The nations were raging when the psalm was written as well. This, this is not a new thing. The nations rage, but the Lord reigns. And sometimes it feels like evil is prevailing. And it does certainly dominate the headlines. And it can dominate our conversations. But as Micah was praying earlier, I hope that the Lord is the dominant thing on your tongue. Not the, not the news of war, not the the um, whatever crazy decisions our government makes or whatever politics we want to get into, but the Lord is the one who is our king, the one that we worship and should be the center of our minds, the center of our thinking, and, and should govern our lives and our thoughts. Nonetheless, the world that we live in conspires against the Lord every day. The Lord reigns but we want to break free from those bonds that's who we are as people we do not like to be restrained in any way we like our freedom and we we see the lord's reign and we want to we want to be the lord we want to be the king but he is the lord of lords the king of kings and so for the church we live in a post-christian society right are you familiar with this term post-christian we, we, we like to speak of our nation as a Christian nation, and the, nation, the trends of the nation is to push against Christian values that, that maybe were installed when we formed the nation. And so as Christians, we witness these things happening. We see these laws come to, to pass. We see laws change, and it can rock us. It can shake us, right? It, it should not shake us, though. Our text this morning reminds us that though the kings set themselves against the Lord, though they take counsel together, they will never defeat the Lord. He will level them. They will be crushed like pottery by a a rod of iron. Uh, I wish there was a pot here so I could give you an illustration, grab a mic stand, and just rake it across a pot. What will happen? It It will fly. This is a violent picture. That's the type of judgment we're talking about, an utter destruction. 
but we struggle with authority. We struggle with the Lord's authority. But none of us is the ultimate authority, right? We have limited amounts of authority in our lives. And then there are people over us that have limited amounts of authority. And then we go to the national level, and then there's a greater level of authority. But there is not one nation in the entire world that reigns this world. We have limited spheres that we have control of, and we have to yield all of that to the Lord. And that is what the Lord calls us to do, and that is what we are reminded of in this text. How does it look from the Lord's perspective when, when the nations rage? We know how it looks from our perspective. We know the anxieties that we may feel in this world. But how does the Lord look upon this? What does he see? The Lord has placed his anointed on the throne. What does that mean? So at the time of the psalm, the anointed would have been the king of Israel. Remember David before he takes the throne and how Saul is coming after David. And David has an opportunity to kill Saul. And he cuts the corner of Saul's robe off. And then, I don't know if you remember this part, David laments cutting the corner of the robe off of of Saul. He didn't even kill Saul. He cuts his garment. And that was enough to convict David because he viewed Saul as the Lord's anointed. And because he was the Lord's anointed, he was submitting himself to Saul even though he's running from Saul in this moment. He, he will not raise up against him. And he trusts the Lord in the situation. Well, Jesus has been given this throne. So we see this throne go from Saul to David. And then if you'll remember, there's a promise, a promise given in 2 Samuel that, that a king will reign forever on this throne. And we know this king to be Jesus. He's truly the anointed one. So Saul was anointed, David was anointed as king, and here in the text we see this term, the anointed one. Well, that term there is Messiah. So when you were reading here, your Bible probably did not say Messiah. It probably said the Lord's anointed. This is the same word. This is the same term. So when you see the Lord's anointed, think Messiah, think Christ. That's the Hebrew and the Greek word for the anointed one here, okay? So, as we're reading the text, we'll do well to not just think of this as a national song for Israel singing about their foreign oppression and how the Lord protects them as a country. But think about this as the Lord's anointed here. This is Christ. That's how our New Testament interprets this text, and that's how we should interpret this text. The book of Acts uses this text, and it speaks of the Lord's anointed being Christ. He takes his place on the throne as he dies, as he rises again, and as he ascends into heaven. That's how that's interpreted in the New Testament. This term here, begotten, that we have in verse... Let me find it. Um... Sorry, sorry, I'm, I, I strayed from my notes. Um, verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. This term begotten there, this is 
this could be a little confusing for us. This term is as interpreted by Acts, as interpreted by Hebrews, is a term for the installment of the king. He is being installed into place. And the same term set that we have in, in this psalm as well. The nations have set themselves against the Lord's anointed. The Lord has set his anointed as the king there. That's another term for installed. So the Lord has installed who will be king. And that is the son. That is Jesus. So Jesus is installed in king, as king. And so the picture here is all of these nations trying to set themselves against the king. They are trying to usurp his authority. They are trying to become what he is. They are trying to assume his role. But the king, he reigns supreme. Even though these other kings would seek his position. Note the first word of this psalm. Why? Why do the nations rage? Why do they counsel together, conspire together against the king? Why do they do this? This isn't a question that really seeks an answer. This is an expression of bewilderment. Why, why would they do this? Surely they know that the king, the, the real king, Jesus, is supreme. They cannot win. Surely they know this is a futile, failed attempt. That's what that why is communicating. This is a why of bewilderment. Why do they do this? Do they think that they can win? Maybe you're familiar with this scenario. If you ever tried to put a child in a car seat... And this child has been in a car seat before, and they know what's going to happen when you place them in the seat. And maybe they don't like the restraints of the seat. And so their body, the seat's curved one direction, and they try to make their body curve the opposite direction so that they will not fit into the seat. Maybe you've seen this. And as a parent, you, you know what's going to happen. You know you're going to have your way. You know they are going to eventually conform to the seat and be strapped in. But if the child had their way, they would rip those bonds apart. They would throw those out of the window. And that is the picture here. The nations are raging like a child going into a car seat. They want to rip those bonds away. And the Lord laughs, it says in the text. He mocks the puny attempt of the nations to rebel because he knows they will fail. This laughing... Don't, don't take that to mean a lack of compassion from the Lord. We know that the Lord is a compassionate God. This is communicating something else. This is communicating his sovereignty and our futile attempts to, to rebel. We have a lot of plots that are in vain in Scripture, and it's because they set themselves against a sovereign Lord. Pharaoh plots in vain against the Lord's people. And the Lord raises up Moses using Pharaoh's daughter to rescue him, using Pharaoh's daughter to raise him. Pharaoh's army ends up drowning. The Egyptians are plundered by the Israelites as they leave. The Lord sees that plot, and he's not worried. He's not concerned. The Lord has his way. Acts, Acts chapter 4 quotes Psalm 2, and it says this. Acts chapter 4, verse 26 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. The Lord is not worried. The Lord is not anxious. What he has predestined to take place will take place. Though the nations rage, it does not change anything. Our Lord has no plan Bs. Notice this says, what you predestined to take place. Even though the nations raged, even though when Christ came onto the scene from the time he was born to the time of his crucifixion, there were vain plots against him. The Lord had his way. Even though the religious leaders plotted in vain against Christ, he is risen. We celebrated Easter last week. We celebrated a victory. The nations plot in vain. Those are just a few examples. Our scriptures are littered with those. And so the Lord laughs at these feeble attempts. I have another illustration about a, not the car seat this time, but uh, a few months ago, our two-year-old niece tried to get in the driver's seat of her parents' van, and she said, I drive? Like, basically saying, it's my turn to drive. And her parents told her no and put her in her car seat, and she cries in serious tears. She pitches a fit because she genuinely believed she could drive the van. And I was a bit amazed that this two-year-old would genuinely believe that she could drive the van. It's laughable. That is the situation here. The rulers of the world believe they can drive the world. And the Lord says, no, you can't. Nonetheless, we have a hostile and persecuting world. They are hostile to Christ, and they are persecuting to his people. And the world hates the idea of submitting to the law of the Lord. The world hasn't learned that the Lord's yoke is easy and that his burden is light. They do not believe that. And so you have overt oppression. You have Christians across the world that are killed, brutalized. Then you have subtle oppression. This happens just through laws that the government makes that maybe ties our hands, zips our lips from being able to speak. This world is hostile towards the gospel. But see your king. He is installed on Zion. His rule is sovereignly sealed. He is the legitimate king. Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. That is right in the middle of this psalm. And that might not strike you as important that it's in the middle, but if you knew the Hebrew structures, very often in poetry, you have sort of what's called a chiasm, but it's, um, it's sort of it's a poetic form where it climaxes in the middle, basically, and you have parallels on the ends, and it works its way to a climax. Well, verses 6 and 7 of this psalm are at that climax. This is the point of the psalm. This is where your eyes should go. He has set his king on Zion. 
He has begotten Christ. He has put him on the throne. Jesus is the promised king that was awaited for years. If you were, if you were growing up in Israel 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, and on up into Christ, you would start to wonder what happened to the promise of the Lord. In 2 Samuel, we were promised that there would be a king from David on the throne. What happened? Our line ended, and there's no king. And then Christ bursts on the scene. He takes the throne, and we see that he will be on the throne forever. So that is how that promise is fulfilled. The resurrected king, he is declared the son of God that is promised. Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 5 tell us this which he promised beforehand by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead. This is Christ our Lord. He has ascended the throne. And in Acts 13, we bring you good news today that God promised to his father, that what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So we are reminded here, and we could continue on, there are other scriptures that point to this very psalm as a reminder that Christ's resurrection is a declaration that he is king The resurrection is such a key theological point for us in so many ways. We we, we often think of the resurrection and we think of new life, right? We think of, of victory over death. But the resurrection also declares Christ to be king. And that is so important. The Lord has set his king in place. He is the king of kings. And the Lord laughs. There is no power that can undo his divine purposes. He has set his king in place. It's done. And we've had a few, few tests of nuclear missiles in the past few months. And maybe that stirred your heart when you saw these things, right? The Lord laughs. Not even a nuclear missile can undo his kingdom. Nothing will destroy his kingdom. We should find security in that. Our world is unstable, but our Lord has it everything in the palm of his hands. He mocks at our puny rebellions. And we should find a great encouragement. His rule will never be overturned. And the rulers of this world are accountable to the Lord. Another thing I've looked for as I've been going through the news lately is accountability. There's lots of talk. I'll use a few buzzwords. One of the buzzwords is war crimes. You will see that across the headlines. So many accounts of war crimes. And and the first place my mind goes is, how does this work in, in the world? Who holds people accountable? And so there's this cry in our soul for accountability. We want accountability. And we might not see it the way we want to see it. The Lord holds everyone accountable. 
The rulers of this age are accountable to the world. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. What does that mean? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That means he's the king of everyone who is in a place of authority, and they are all accountable to him. So while my soul may be crying out for justice, justice is coming. So who will hold Putin accountable? The Lord will hold Putin accountable. Who will hold our Supreme Court accountable when they do things that are against the laws of the Lord? The Supreme King will hold the Supreme Court accountable. Do you see that? Can you rest in that? They will answer to someone whose wrath is severe. So the second point I had on on the bulletin there was that his wrath is severe. And this comes under his reign that is supreme. This psalm picks up where Psalm 1 leaves off. In Psalm 1, you, you see the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked compared. And the way of the wicked is very similar to what you see in Psalm 2. The way of the, the righteous man, he does not sit with the scoffers. He delights in the law of the Lord. But the wicked, this is Psalm 1 here, will not stand in the judgment. And so what we see in Psalm 2, we start to see the judgment here. We see the king with a rod of iron, and we see the wicked as a potter's vessel that is smashed. That's the picture that Revelation picks up on. And two times in Revelation, this text pops up, where the king of kings has the ultimate authority, And he is the one who will judge the living and the dead. And this is the worst nightmare for wicked rulers in this world, that they will ultimately be held to account by a righteous and omnipotent God. And when we think of wickedness in the world, we marvel that there is such a thing as common grace. Remember Noah? Remember the flood, global flood, takes the wickedness of the world and judges it. And then the Lord gives us a promise that he will never do that again with the, with the flood. Because why? Because our wickedness grows like grass. And before long, you see that there would be the need for another flood. But in his grace, the Lord has sustained us. In his grace, though we are wicked men dwelling among a people who are wicked, The Lord has had mercy. The Lord has mercy in staying that ultimate judgment. But it is coming. So right now, we enjoy his grace, his common grace, that even in a godless world, he shows mercy. But we also know that the day of the Lord is coming. This is a theme that's throughout the scriptures. And there will be a great reckoning where all accounts will be made right. And in Christ, we find rest. We find rest that justice will be done. And we also find rest that he accepts our justice for us. Because just like the worst of the worst, we, we too are worthy of that wrath. We too are a pot that should be shattered. Revelation 19, 
verses 15 through 16. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He truly is the King of Kings. He truly is the Lord of Lords. He can hold those to account who seem to be untouchable. No one is untouchable from the hand of the Lord. Does this make a difference in our lives, knowing this? Knowing that he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, does it, does it bring you comfort? It should. It should. We should be able to trust that the plots of those in this world are truly in vain. That is why we can fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race with endurance. His refuge is secure. He gives an opportunity for mercy in this psalm. If you'll notice towards the end of the psalm, there are two commands given. Serve the Lord with fear and kiss the son. Serve the Lord with fear. The psalm begins with the nation tearing away the bonds of the Lord. But for those who love his law, we see that his law points us to Christ. We see that his law restrains our evil. And so we delight in the law, as Psalm 1 tells us to do. But for those in rebellion, his law is seen as chains. They are seen as a weight that keeps you down. Our hearts are prone, prone to wander. We need a weight to keep us down. Have you ever played tetherball? You have the post, and there's a cable, and then there's the ball, and you hit the ball, and what does it do? It flies away from the post, but because it's tethered to the post, it comes back, right? It spins around the post, and it comes close to the post. That is what his law should do for us. It should tether us to the Lord. So, yes, his law does function as a chain, but in the best possible way, in the same way that a chain attaches an anchor to a ship. His law is a chain, but it's a chain you do not want to break free from. The nations rage. They want to tear this chain away. But this chain is the very thing anchoring us to our God. So we delight in the law. And we serve the Lord with fear, as it says in Psalm 2. And we kiss the sun. What does this mean, to kiss the sun? Well, this is not like my big fat Greek wedding kiss on the cheek. This is a humble submission, kissing the feet of your king. This is bowing down and saying, you reign over me. This is what we are called to do, submit ourselves to his reign. His reign is supreme, his wrath is severe, but his refuge is secure. Put yourself at his feet, rest in that. Come to him for safety. Again, our headlines are, are filled with people seeking refuge. They are in a dire situation. We are in a dire situation just the same. And we throw ourselves at the mercy of the feet of the king of kings. And we can trust him. That's very different than the, the rulers of this age. We cannot necessarily trust them. There, are, uh, there were people held up in a steel plant in Ukraine, 
And there's been talk of, well, if they come out, the soldiers will bring them to safety. You know, there's talks like that. But the people don't trust that. And they, they've had precedence not to trust that, right? And so it's a very different situation for us. When we come to our king, we can trust him fully. So this is a very different situation. We come to a king who is good. We come to a king who we know always keeps his word. So different from the kings of this age. This is the king that will smash the rebellion. He's offering us refuge. Here in the text, it says, Blessed, verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Take refuge in him. Kiss the Lord. Serve him with fear. Submit yourself to him. This is such good news. Astonishing news. 2,000 years ago, when the king was on the earth, people did not really understand the nature of the Messiah's reign. They did not understand what it would mean to take refuge in him. That taking refuge in him meant trusting that he took the wrath that we have spoken about. He took it for us. Those of us who take refuge in him, he has borne the wrath. The psalm begins in rebellion, but it ends with submission. I hope that's the truth for our lives, that we began in rebellion, but we end in submission to this king. Take refuge in him. We celebrate that God has power over all of the plots on this earth. Rest in that this morning, but also rest that he has put your plotting to an end, that you have refuge in the king not from the world that oppresses you. You do have refuge in him there. But more importantly, you have refuge in him from his own wrath. Delight in, in the law of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to, to worship the king. Help us to know what it means to submit ourselves. Know what it means to see the goodness of your law, to see that you do not seek to oppress us, but instead you love us, you protect us, and you do what is good for your people. Help us to delight in your rule over us. Help us to truly lay down our crowns and trust that you are the king of kings. And no matter what we see, you are in control. Your reign is supreme. In Christ we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.